You're listening to a podcast by Mission Field USA, a church planting initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. For more information and resources, visit lcms.org slash church planting. Hello and welcome to our next edition of our Mission Field USA podcast. I'm Pastor Steve Shave, LCMS Director of Church Planting. With me, as always, is our co-host, the Reverend Dr. Mark Larson. Hello, Mark. How are you doing, Steve? Good. We continue uh, in our isolation chambers here uh, and our recording studios in our homes, but uh, glad to have everybody with us for another very important topic. Uh, Today's title is Campus Ministry, Challenges and Opportunities. Today with us is our guest, Reverend Mark Azil, who is the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and also LCMSU. Welcome, Marcus. Hey, great to be with you. This is a bucket list item for me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, you can't since... expect me to be entirely serious, though. I got to start off right no. off the bat establishing yeah. that. And also <laughs> the Minister of Jocularity for the Office of National. There you go. <laughs> And uh, Mission Field USA, from the beginning, one of our major demographics when we talk about making disciples and the importance of church planting for uh, how impactful it is on reaching the lost, uh, it cannot go unnoticed that on our campuses, uh, especially our young adults, uh, just how many of our nuns, uh, those who are not affiliated with the church, are on our campuses. Um, so it's been very important to us. And then now we look at campus ministry and just how much more challenging it's going to be to have new mission starts uh, in our campus world. But also the aftermath of COVID-19 and the recent unrest uh, offers uh, more opportunities. So um, briefly, uh, Marcus, what would you say is kind of an overview for the need for campus ministry? Why should we care? Well. You know, this is the question for the last five years. I get to ask this all the time. And so it took me two years to come up with it, but I came up with an acronym. Uh, And the acronym is CARE. Uh, And so this is kind of the nuts and bolts of what campus ministry is. The C stands for uh, catechizing and caring for our own. Um, and in reality, what we have going on is, uh, you know, the basic need for why we have campus ministry is our young people head out of the home. They get out of the chutes. Uh, they go off to college, to the military, or right into the workforce, wherever they might go. And uh, the church, we, we need to connect them to the body of Christ uh, where they're going um, and hoping to help make sure that they, they, they continue to transition through that kind of um, transitory period of their life um, and end up coming out on the other side still uh, a part of the body of Christ and and connected to the life of Christ in a church. So the C is catechizing and caring for our own. The A is apologetics in the academic square. And uh, uh, in many ways, we are in a, you know, as we all know that we're, we're in an increasingly post-Christian culture, and uh, wherever society is right now on that, um, it was probably t- it's t- probably twenty years behind where uh, kind of the culture of our uh, college campuses are because they're in essence incubators of ideas, good, bad, and ugly. 
And so our young people have been confronted with with this for quite some time. You mentioned the, the nun category. Um, you know, we follow this closely, and many of our listeners have probably already heard about this, but in, in one generation, we have we have tripled the number of young people that say that they have no religious background who are college freshmen on our college campuses. And so uh, the whole idea of when I always like to point out, you know, Paul and um, Acts 17, the whole Mars Hill experience, uh, this is very much akin to what, what we're facing in terms of the need to to be in the incubator of ideas, not just for the sake of catechizing and caring for our own, which is job number one, but also the need for uh, for having a seat at the table in the marketplace of ideas, uh, whether it's in an actual marketplace like it was in, in Athens, um, or before councils and kings, or, you know, in the seat of the kind of intelligentsia. And so uh, for many years, we kind of just allowed... Um, campuses, well, they're just liberal places anyway, so who cares? Well, as you look around in today's society, you can kind of see where a lot of this progressive thought and our hands-off thinking has kind of gotten us. So catechizing and caring for our own apologetics in the academic square. The R is for uh, reaching the lost. Um, and by that, I mean those that, that don't follow Christ. I mean, it's really that simple. Um, that could include um, the increasingly num- increasing numbers of uh, atheists and agnostics, both which are very, very fashionable uh, to be on a college campus today, and, uh, and as well as uh, the number of international students who maybe aren't uh, followers of Jesus Christ from various countries and from any number of religions. Uh, we just last year, I think we hit 21 million, um, 21 million um, international students on our college campuses, and it makes up 7% of academia. And uh, more on that later, because I think that we're going to have a problem there, because I'm not sure they're all going to be able to be here uh, in a post-COVID-19 uh, world. But so catechizing and caring for our own, apologetics in the academic square, reaching the lost, and all that that includes. Um, and in essence, kind of a summary of all of it is uh, engaging a dying culture um, with Christ. And so that's really why, why we're there. And I think why we should care. And, um, anyways. Yeah, very good. So I know with new starts and we've done a couple of pilot projects together through mission field USA, each context is a little bit different. And normally there's not just one way to structure things or how they're set up. How does that work with campus ministry? Well, that's another great question. Um, yeah, people often get, there's a lot of myths that, you know, we kind of have this town gown mindset of um, there's this pristine pastoral college campus and there's this beautiful little chapel with a campus pastor in there that's full time. It's right next to the library and he's uh, steeping his tea across from it and there's uh, students coming in and out to talk to him. Um, the model of the of the church uh that we're most familiar with is kind of like, hey, college town, Iowa City, Iowa, University of Nebraska and Lincoln, we plant the building and we plant the pastor and we say, go at it. Well, problem of the day is that that we have increasingly, for a number of reasons, uh, seen a decrease in a lot of the, the funding and the opportunities to have these full-time ministries. 
Um, and so it really is, it's not like a Jehovah's Witness model where you just kind of get the blueprint for the building and put it up. Um, in reality, some are full-time, some are full-time congregations. Some are funded by districts. Some are not funded by districts. Some are uh, under the auspices of a local congregation, and they might spend 5, 10, 15, 20 hours a week. Um, many of our, we have, I think, seven or eight places that get vicars, congregations that get vicars for the purpose of campus ministry, which is a model I love, even though it has its challenges. Uh, in some cases, you might even have students. You know, I, I remember when I was, uh, before I was first in campus ministry, I uh, was in Wolf Point, Glasgow, Montana, and kind of the patriarch of the Glasgow church, they were 55 miles apart. He got a church there because he called up the DP and said, hey, my name is so-and-so, I just moved to this town and we don't have a church, how do I get one? <laughs> and he took the initiative to figure out how could I, you know, how can I blitz this thing and help uh, push it along so that we can get a church planted here? Well, the same is true in, in campus ministry circles. There really is no perfect model. Uh, there's many perfect models. And every time I think that I that I have like, there, he, these are the identifiable 14 ways this can work. Well, then they're, they're hybrids of those. And so, uh, but it really comes down to uh, not buildings. Uh, I just listened to a uh, uh, one of your podcasts uh, recently on um, buildings, you know, a blessing or bane. And I, I agree the answer can be both. Um, but in terms of planting a campus ministry, a lot of people have the idea, well, you know, we're not right next door to the campus. Or we don't have a church building like many of these campus ministries that are full-time that are ne right next to the campus. Well, you know what? That's kind of an old school way of thinking. Um Yes, it's nice to be able to walk to a campus ministry, but college students do know how to get places now. They aren't confined as they used to be, and there are a great many people out there that in places that haven't really started campus ministry because for years they were conditioned, I believe falsely, to think, well, hey, shoot, we're a mile from the campus. What can we do? I sit here and think, holy smokes, you're only a mile from the campus? Are you kidding me? That's tremendous. And so uh, so uh, campus ministry comes in many, many shapes and sizes, and a lot depends, too, on what is available to them in terms of the school. Um, you mentioned that we uh, have had a couple Mission USA, uh, Mission Field USA projects. You know, the one that comes to mind, uh, the University of Toledo, uh, the church actually started meeting exclusively on campus in Basically, if I recall, it was like a theater. Um, when I was at the University of Wyoming, we hosted a couple pastors conferences for the district for free using university facilities by using our recognized student organization status. So because the students agreed to put something on or to support it, it's amazing the kind of access that in some cases, not all, but in some cases you can have on campus. You can literally have and we've done it, actually have a church on campus. Very good. And you were talking about the start. And I know for church plants, we've tried to give in our guidebook kind of the step-by-step -step because there are so many people that are just thinking, I don't even know where to begin. 
So if somebody's considering, you know, a church plant or a new start, and they're also considering the campus ministry, how would you have them even start that process? Well, <clears throat> I kind of narrow it down to seven or eight, seven or eight things that I think that they need to do. Um, first of all, you know, and it seems trite, but prayerful consideration of this Um you also need to, uh, and this is one of the things that never happens, is hardly ever happens. People are like, hey, I'd like to start a campus ministry. Uh, how do I get one? How do I get it started? What do I do? And I'm like, well, uh, are you familiar? Have you been on campus? You know, when was the last time you were on campus? Oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> you have to get to know the college or the university. It is absolutely essential that you go to the turf of those that you're trying to reach. And part of the planning process of learning, how are we going to, be, remember I said no two campus ministries are, are identically configured. When I get asked to consult, I the first thing I do if I can't go visit is I just literally go to about 20 different places on the school's website. I look at everything I can to figure out how do they approach incoming freshmen? What, is their RSO, what do their RSOs look like? What are the other clubs on campus? Um, what does the International Student Affairs have to say? What kind of things are they looking for? What kind of needs? You want to talk about mercy work, especially, especially when you get, when to, you smaller get to smaller colleges, colleges. or oh. if you get to, say, uh, community college level. Many colleges, especially those that aren't as big, will let you almost do anything in terms of mercy work especially towards international students, because frankly, nobody else is willing to do it. And so I think it's an important thing to ask, once I kind of research the university or college, what are the needs that are present? Well, why not go ask them? Get to know the international people and say, hey, you work in the international office, you obviously care about international students. You know, my congregation and I, we'd like to know, you know, what kind of needs are there? How could we be of help to you? Rather than just focusing on how do we evangelize your students, which they usually don't want to hear, they do want them to have good multicultural experiences. And there probably are some needs that, you know, I know one um, community college in North Dakota um, where they said, well, what we could really do is somebody putting on like a barbecue for us when we have our freshman orientation, incoming college student, international student fair in the summer. We don't have enough money to provide for the food. And so for like 1200 bucks, the congregation every year put on this feast uh, for, for this community college and had a, had a platform to tell them about their church, where they were, and, uh, and to tell, you know, it was just a wonderful opportunity to not only care, but also, here's my point, find out what the needs are. And sometimes you just got to ask. But it's important to develop relationships on the campus. Uh, but you got to get to know the college or university. Um, somebody's thinking about starting a campus ministry, especially if it's a pastor. I usually say, get off your tail, tell your secretary if you have one, I'm not going to be in today. I'm going to go on campus. I'm going to take my computer, a few books. I'm going to kind of breathe the atmosphere in the student union and the library. I'm going to do a little sermon writing, respond to some emails, maybe do some reading without people calling me on the church phone for a day, it'd be good for you. And you can also, because you're out of the office, and it can also be good as you kind of just have a chance to kind of 
to kind of get a sense of of the environment in which you you know in which you're hoping to explore and to uh, to do your outreach. It's also important to uh, uh, kind of create a congregational awareness. Um, not everybody knows what campus ministry is, and while you might have a layperson or a pastor or maybe a DCE or a deaconess or someone that is passionate about it, if it falls on one person, it will only go so far. You really need to kind of develop a, a ethos of, of a congregation. Um, um, if, if one already exists, of course, um, to be able to develop kind of an awareness, um, or in the case of a place that doesn't exist, that this is part of what we're doing. Um, also, as you need support, as with every church plant, too, um, it's good to have all stakeholders on deck. Uh, many of those are alums. If you're trying to plant a campus ministry from scratch, like if I was asked, Marcus, go plant a campus ministry anywhere where you think it needs to happen on scratch, what would I do? I would first figure out the demographic footprint, find all the LCMS Lutherans that still exist that went to that school that wish to God they had had a campus ministry when they went there, but they're still somehow Lutheran. And I would get them on board. I would develop a mission society, something to, you want every stakeholder that is interested in campus ministry to be a part of it, even if it's beyond your congregation. Um, recruitment, obviously, it's very helpful. You can have an RSO uh, on campus, a recognized student organization without a few students and volunteers. Um, I've already mentioned this, but you got to create a presence. Locatedness is very important. And while the last thing I think you have to have to start a campus ministry is a building. Um, the bottom line is how do you create locatedness where you don't have, where you don't have it? Well, you use the locatedness that you have by going to the turf of where they are. Um, you got to go to, it's just like they, we always say a, uh, a, a, uh, you know, we were t both probably taught at seminary that a, that a, uh, a home-going pastor makes a church-going people. Well, if you want young people to be drawn to what you're doing, you have to go see them where they're at. And uh, that means immersing yourself um, in the things of college life. I used to go to, you know, I used to go to debates on campus. I used to go to lectures. Sit, I used to go in and say, hey, professor, would you mind? I'm a campus pastor. Would you mind? If I sit on in your class, as long as I don't heckle you too loudly, and then they'd laugh and go, "Yeah, okay, fine," uh, because I wanted uh, young people to know that, hey, I'm really interested in what they're doing. So that's that's very important. Obviously, communication is a big aspect of that. Um, the social media uh, world in which we live, but nothing can replace the personal touch of literally going to where the students are, um, recognizing a student club organization. Register every school's different. You just gonna gotta learn what the hoops are, and figure out how to uh, jump through them. Um, and also realizing that you're just because I say that that uh, no two campus ministries are the same uh, doesn't mean that you can't pick the brains of those that have been there and done that. Um, I routinely, when people ask me to consult about, hey, how do we start a campus ministry at this place? If I can go see it, I certainly will. If I can't, I will research it enough on my own, 
And oftentimes, I will end up telling people, whether it's a district official, whether it's a local pastor or a layman, I'll say, you know what? I can help you out, and I'm not abandoning you, but I really think you need to talk to these two people at these two places because they're doing what I think they've done, I think is the kind of model that might work well given what I'm seeing here. And so sometimes it's a matter of of finding those who've been there and done that uh, that you can learn from and maybe mentor you along the way. So not all of that ties to church planning. A good bit of it does, uh, but that's kind of the, uh, the, the basics that I usually um, share with people about how to kind of navigate this at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's new mission work, and whether you uh, have the beginning of it with campus ministry or if you're bringing campus ministry into your new start, those are uh, very important things to think through in terms of how do we even get this off the ground. So what are some, I mean, you can't have a church plan either without some roadblocks along the way. So what are some roadblocks then to planting campus ministries? Well, there are a lot. Of course, funding is always is always one of them. Um, it's also kind of a, you know, every, I think everybody knows that campus ministry is essential. We see that, you know, we hear, and we've highlighted these things the last couple of years, some of President Harrison's statements, our millennial studies by the youth department, uh, some of these other things, the demographic studies. Um, we realize that, uh, you know, we're losing more of our young people than we'd like to admit. And in a lot of ways, it happens even before they get to college, but it certainly does happen while they're at school. Um, and so obviously, um, I think everybody knows how important this is, but that doesn't mean that the funding is there to do it, unfortunately. And part of the problem is there's some there's some real misperceptions of what campus ministry is and isn't. Um, if I had to be asked, would you rather have a person or a building to start with? I'd say, well, it would depend on the building or the person. But if all things are being equal, I'll take the person, um, because ultimately, um, campus ministry is about uh, taking the gospel to a certain group of people, and really not just our own college students, but that entire community. But it's going to take fundamentally. You could have the most beautiful building right off campus, a gorgeous chapel to die for, um, all these types of things. Um, but if you don't have somebody that really is going to roll up their sleeves and actually do the work, um, you know, any this is probably too with, true with any church plant. You know, it's it's not going to go as well. And uh, so some of the misperceptions I hear this all the time. But we don't have this. But we don't have this. And my response is always, um, okay, never mind what you don't have. What do you have? And why don't we start with that? <laughs> Uh, let's find out what you have as assets at your disposal, and you're going to have to get creative. You're going to have to build this. Uh, you're building this from scratch, so whatever you have is better than scratch. So let's start there. But the lack of funding is a big deal, and sometimes you know local churches or even districts. Um, and I don't mean this to be disparaging to anybody, but it's very easy for people to not see this as the investment that it needs to be because sometimes they don't view it as, how do I put this? You know me, uh, Pastor Shave, I'm always seeking to be extra, extra sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> That's you, yeah, sure. <laughs> but lots of times people, you know, let me put it this way. Campus ministry 
and campus mission out, outreach is not necessarily going to be a moneymaker. You know, you're going to be training and reaching people that might not be there in two years. I spent 16 years of my life at the University of Wyoming, and I think I deserve a thank you card from nearly every LCMS pastor in Denver who's inherited some awesome layman that I sent their way because that's where they went to get jobs when they left. They didn't stay in Laramie, Wyoming. So we're talking about a very transient uh, community. And this is why campus ministry and church, it's very hard. You know, I talked about how it's important to have all stakeholders on, on board. Um, sometimes we have one of the, one of the problems is that uh, this idea that, well, only one district should care about a campus ministry in a certain place. Well, the problem is college students go all over the place to go to school. Uh, Pastor Shave, Steve, you have four kids. They're in school. Do they all go to school in Missouri? You're probably going to tell me they do. Yeah. <laughs> well, my one just okay. graduated. Yeah. Okay. So they do go to Missouri. Well, that's yes. not always the They're case. The kids, kids can go almost anywhere. Uh, right. They can go across state lines. You know, we have an, we have English district congregations that have full-time campus ministries in like Arizona and Michigan, yet they're surrounded by the Michigan district. So who should be the stakeholder there, the English district or the Michigan district? I would say yes, both. In fact, I would say that the entirety of the church has an interest in this because these students are going from wherever our 6,000, whatever congregations are, going to wherever they're going, and then they're all coming back and going to different, or going to different places. And so this is really something, but many people don't, they don't see, you know, they don't see the fruit of building up a congregation in this, because, you know, every four or five years, your congregation could be entirely new, which is why the best thing you can do if you want to plant a church and you want it to have a campus ministry component is understand out of the out right out of the shoots that these young people may not stick around and go to your church. Um, and so this is a mission outreach of your church. But also understand that every single person that's not a student is extraordinarily valuable because that uh, campus community needs to see the church and the church is ultimately made up of people of all ages. And frankly, young people they don't realize this until they go to college, but they end up at college almost getting sick of seeing people their age too. So it's nice for them to see, to feel like they're a part of a church. And many churches don't realize that they have every asset in their toolbox. They have every tool in their toolkit to do campus ministry because they have the gospel and because they care. If you have those two things, you can make campus ministry work. But you have to understand, and I can be a broken record about this, but if you think about it, in the book of Acts, uh, here we are uh, thinking about the great explosion of the gospel and uh, the apostle, you know, going everywhere and planting churches and all those types of things. Planting a campus ministry church, especially if it's predominantly students, um, almost has to be the opposite. Because whereas Paul and Peter and others are kind of going, they're the transient ones, right? Okay, going to this place, starting something up, and then leaving, and then getting somebody in there to be the pastor and going somewhere else. But in terms of campus ministry, like when I was a campus pastor, I'm the guy that's here. 
And it's not it's not me that's transient. It's the congregation that's kind of shuffling through. Uh, uh, they're the transient ones. So it's it's you got to kind of understand these things up front. Well, very good, and that's perfectly fine to have a focus on making disciples. And here we are talking about starts. We're talking about roadblocks, and I know something exciting for you coming up uh, in the fall is your hundredth anniversary for. LCMS Campus Ministry, and I know you've gotten to do quite a bit of uh, historical fact-finding, and I'm sure that you've uh, seen some of the wins and hows planting uh, campus ministries has occurred, and have you found anything that uh, has enlightened you or helped us to be more informed on how we would plant today? No, absolutely, no, absolutely not. not. I knew, I knew, I knew I everything know. in advance. All right. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am. Uh, I am obligated to myself to to not be serious after every 15 minutes of uh, important discussion. Anyways, no. The bottom line is, uh, uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, it's you know, I was a history teacher before I went to seminary. I love history, and the hardest thing with me for me doing historical research is that it pings ideas off my head of how I could take something that somebody did that maybe fell along the wayside or is like, man, that's a great idea. But what if we took that and did this with that now, they probably would only wish that we could have done these things today. And, but in terms of planting churches, planting campus ministries, the first campus ministries uh, were planted really for, um, you know, the main C in care, catechizing and caring for our own. But what they often did, you know, the very first campus ministry at the university of Wisconsin um, the very first service, they basically rented a music hall on campus and used it as their church. Um, and so, and they had a pastor that was, uh, sent there to be on campus wherever possible. Most of the early, most of the early campus ministry plants were about, um, a person and where possible, you know, in terms of a worker to kind of be on campus, as I say. But then oftentimes, most of these campus ministries that we have in close proximity uh, didn't start out by buying, they, they, they didn't have like a, a building per se. Um, they would buy a gas station, they would buy a frat house, they would buy whatever and just start kind of building up property. And the most common way of doing this was to buy a house, because many of these college, you know, we talk about college towns. You'd buy a house, and then you would uh, start meeting in there. Maybe the worker lived there and then would have people over, kind of like a campus house church, sort of. Um, and and then eventually uh, money would come in, maybe from alumni or others, and you'd think about buying another house next door to it if you saw that house open. Next thing you know, maybe 10, 15 years down the line, uh, districts were able to um, to see way to maybe start blueprinting to kind of build a chapel, which was designed to be, you know, by tearing down what they had and then building something uh, there using that footprint. Uh, but in reality, they usually started with getting somebody on campus first, but then looking for property as they were able, but not letting it get in the way. Fair enough. So we talked a little bit about the demographics of what it looks like on our campus ministries, and I know we've heard some of the gloom and doom about what's going on uh, with that 
age category, but what, in your perspective, what does this uh, domestic mission field look like on our campuses right now? Give us a little more detail. Well, I can't imagine there being a, a bigger mission field because, like I said, with my A and care apologetics in the academic square, um, if anybody is listening to this and has been pondering, how did we get to a point where, where some of the things that we faced the last several months in this country um, and ha- where some of these ideas have come from of fundamentally destroying or deconstructing how we even think about society and where is this coming from? Well, I'll tell you where it's coming from. It's bubbling up. Like I said, incubator of ideas, good, bad, and ugly at our college campuses. And so you want to talk about a mission field? Um, you know, it goes without saying that if you, if you can reach those who are younger um, and get that generation, you've got their whole rest of their lives. If, the, if they become uh, committed to their faith in Christ, uh, obviously it's better to not lose the ones that we already have that are going off to college. But there's so many to gain. There's so many opportunities to, to talk to the atheist, talk to the agnostic. And uh, there's a lot, you know, one of the things that people don't realize is that anxiety is overwhelming our young people on campus. Because if you think about it, you show up on a college campus, typical state university, and a great a majority of what you're doing there is designed to almost tear you down and get you to kind of be refashioned in the way that many progressives might think. And that's terribly, that can leave a lot of young people with anxious thoughts if they aren't strong enough in their faith. And so, but the same is also true when you think about those that we don't consider our own yet and who we want to reach out to. Um, They are anxious as well. They know that something is messed up. Yeah, I hear this, you know, Everything in my classroom is gray, and it's all relativistic. But there's got to be something black and white out there that makes sense that's, that's truth. And that's why I always say the worst thing that we could ever do is be bashful about what we actually believe. But we need to take advantage of um, the opportunities that we have to speak to those on the college campuses, our state universities, which have virtually abandoned religion. But yet there's a natural knowledge of God that is kind of inherent in all of us. And we have a chance to reach out to people who have questions. I did a, a we did at the University of Wyoming a, a forum called Does God Exist once way back in the day. And we joined a couple other of the campus groups that were normally not, you know, it was ecumenical in the sense that we all thought we should bring this person in. We brought in a Christian apologist to debate one of the uh, university uh, religion profs who was an atheist. Um, And it had over a thousand people at it at a school of 1500. And it cost us not a dime to post that on campus. And then each group could kind of do a follow-up with their own churches afterwards. Um, Incredibly helpful event. Didn't cost a dime. Um, And those are the types of things that we have to understand that while the mission, while our young people on campus might not be poor and homeless, though that is becoming a thing, education has become so outrageously expensive. There are um, people living without food and going to, to food shelters and sleeping in cars 
just because they have put everything into their ability to go to a school. And so there are plenty of mercy opportunities too. But uh, if we lose, if we just, we, what we're learning is that we have almost said, hey, colleges and universities are tend to be liberal places, so what are you going to do? Um, well, that's where I were at. That's in part, not everything, but that's in part why we're at where we are, where we are at culturally. And if the culture cl- crumbles, if the curbs on society in terms of law and order and civil unrest and, and, and all this kind of stuff happens, that harms our ability, whether we're trying to plant a camp on plant a church on campus or anywhere else for that matter, because it sees the breakdown of society. So to me, um, you know, I'm biased, but the, our college campuses are, are as high up, should be as high up the, the priority uh, for all of us uh, for those very reasons. All right. And you also mentioned uh, recent events. So I don't think any ministry is not affected by the pandemic and the protests and the unrest that's been happening. What do you think it's going to look like uh, coming up here this spring? I mean, fall. Um, yeah, it, the uh, it's hard to know. It's, I think we're going to see a little mishmash. I know the University of California recently stated, and that's a huge system, that they're not going to have online classes this fall. Uh, University of Oklahoma, University of Michigan, the same thing. Some of our Concordias, I think, are all trying to open up. I think most of them are. Um, it's going to be a mishmash. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of everything. And um, so that is a lot of uncertainty, and that you know is going to create a lot of havoc. I think we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of young people deciding. You know what? I might maybe this is a good year for me to not go four hours away, and maybe I'll take my sophomore year, even though I wasn't thinking this way originally. I'll stay close to home and go to community college. Um, maybe they'll do some online studies. Maybe they'll have to do some online studies. Um, I think we're going to see a real changing of guard. In higher education in general, most of the studies that I see say that you know 25% of all colleges and universities are going to close in the next 10, 15 years, and so this is going to be really a uh, a pandemic of uh, death for a lot of um, the structures of higher education, and they're going to have to start thinking out of the box. Um, a big question is online education. What is that going to mean for campus ministry? Um, I get asked this all the time, campus pastor, Hey, Zill. So I'm a campus pastor. Um, none of my students are here. What do I do? (laughs) Well, now I got to get creative. Every pastor has had to ask that to a certain degree. Um, you got to get creative. It, It makes, I think, uh, um, calling up and just talking to someone that much more important, uh, Google hangouts and, evening prayer sessions and Compline and Bible studies online and different things like that, of course. But yeah, I mean, if that becomes institutionalized coming out of this in the next five years, where students universally stay closer to home, we're going to have to, you know, campus ministry is really about the college students, where the college students go, that's where we're going to have to go and figure it out. Um, Like I said, you're going to plan a campus ministry, what do you got? um, job number one is to figure out where the students are. Um, 
And of course, you know, like I said, another thing that's going to happen is a lot of young people today in increasing fashion are saying, you know what, based on what I want to do for my living, for what I think I want to do, I don't even know if I need to go to college. There are books after books after after book being written that will go through all the various disciplines. Will basically say, "Hey, you want to be an engineer? Yeah, you should probably go to you should probably go to college. You want to be a philosophy major? Probably not worth your time. Um, or you want to be, you know, obviously if you want to be a plumber, maybe you should go to trade school. Maybe you should get an apprenticeship. And so that I think the days of that most of the three of us and maybe a lot of our listeners listeners remember where you just kind of went to college because well that's what you do. Um, young people are increasingly saying, "Is it worth the money?" Is it worth the debt? Um, and is it worth it specifically for the degree I want? And they're not necessarily thinking about things that people used to think about, like uh, the cultural experience, the, the college experience, the typical thing. And, uh, of course, uh, as a big proponent of international student ministry, uh, you know, 7% of all college students in America are not U.S. citizens. Um, the four biggest are uh, 3% of all, 3% of every college student in this country is from China. And not as a Chinese American, I mean, actually, literally from China. Well, what happens if we never open up travel from China or that doesn't happen for a year or two? Uh, the other ones are India. The four biggest are China, India, Saudi Arabia, and Kenya. Well, if, if the pipeline of college of international students slows, that's going to have a big impact financially on colleges and universities. And it's also going to kind of wreck, wreck havoc with many of the, the great things that our International Student Ministry Inc. group um, does on many of our campuses to reach out to Chinese students. So while there might be reasons that they might not be able to come given pandemic and some of those types of things, uh, let's pray that the doors to many of these uh, countries um, where maybe a lot of unbelievers are, are coming to America for education remain open. Yeah, and it was great having a Mission Field USA location with a person in Minneapolis that spoke Mandarin yeah, and focused yeah. on that. And that would definitely be uh, sad to see us uh, lose some of that foothold. And as you said, there's certainly going to be plenty of trauma and grief that pastors are going to be able to help our college students with. But if you had a group of church planters with you, Marcus, how would you give them some advice on how they can actually include campus ministry in their plans with their core groups? Well, um, really, I think I kind of touched on a, a couple of these things. But I, I, I think, um, first of all, you have to understand up front that just like with planting any ministry, it's really hard to start completely from scratch, which is why kind of the traditional models with a mother congregation planting a daughter congregation is kind of seeing, well, who can we, who can we kind of, who would be willing to kind of create a small nucleus? It's nice to have a nucleus. If you have, you're like, hey, we want to plant a campus congregation. Where I was at the University of Wyoming, get this. In the 40s, 1940s, they decided they wanted to, the Zion Lutheran Church was seven blocks from campus um, and decided they wanted to plant a quote-unquote campus church as its daughter church five blocks away. <laughs> and so, and, and people from the one church 
they took a couple profs, a couple, you know, kind of what you would typically do when most campus ministry plants have happened in the past. Get some younger younger people, although I don't think you you want only young people. What you do want is anybody that just is compelled to want to help young people. I don't care if you're 90 years old. The best, most inspiring international student worker I have ever seen is Augusta Manel at Slippery Rock University. Um, she is a mag. She was a prof, a retired prof. Uh, 20 years ago, um, loved international students, and she's, there could be 30, 40 of them at, her church, at their church in Slippery Rock at any time, and it's because she and her retirement spent time with international students on campus as a former prof. How beautiful is that? So, you know, you, you want to kind of get a nucleus of people if it's a prof, if it's a prof that doesn't like students, then just have him stay at the regular church. <laughs> hopefully, that's not, hopefully that's not the case. But the point is they don't have to just, you know, we have to get over this homogeneous thing um, where everybody should be. The idea that everybody in a campus ministry needs to be 18 to 23 or whatever is ridiculous. But you, you do want to care for, um, if you're going to care for the campus, which is part of the word campus ministry, and you want to reach out to everybody on campus, it's not bad to have kind of a subsection of people that you can plant if you can find them. Uh, again, if they care about young people, I don't care what age they are, where they're from, how old, you know, it doesn't matter. If they want to be there, then they should be there and kind of form a nucleus. Um, but that, in addition, a lot of the things that I said about, you know, really getting to know uh, the campus and the needs, and also understanding that that you're not going to build your church up completely, um, even if it's camp, even if it has a campus ministry component with campus ministry. However, it will be beneficial to you and in other intangibles, and a lot of the 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 incredible service, hearts, and inspiration that you'll get from these young people. Because if you have a young person that's coming, that's coming to your church during this time in their life that's something special and it's to be appreciated and uh, supported and i think it can have dividends in ways we don't normally think of yeah i wanted to touch on that just for my own urban ministry work and i've seen that we're interested in reaching out to millennials and how much of a challenge that seems to be and seems like we establish these new missions and we focus our attention on how, how do we draw them in and we kind of do this specific thing that's supposed to reach them. And one of the things that's fascinated me, though, is, uh, for example, I went to a really nice hipster coffee shop place and I thought, oh, man, this must be to draw these millennial folks in and ended up being an actual homeless ministry. But the thing that amazed me when I saw this place was just, it was gorgeous. They had activities. They had every bell and whistle you can imagine from a city uh, coffee shop. But guess who was there volunteering their time, who wanted to be a part of this, who wanted to make an impact, that wanted to make a difference. Um, it just drew in all sorts of millennial you know, folks that really are interested and have a heart for reaching those who are the least. So I did want to ask you about that. Is that is that something you think that, man, there's a lot of uh, ways to engage young adults these days in this kind of new mission work, especially when it relates to mercy? Well, and, you know, 
I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't know an age group that is more that is fundamentally more interested in service than this age group. And if you ask anybody that works with young people in in, in campus ministry, um, I know we see a lot of things on the news and social justice warriors and this, that, and the other thing. And we're just like, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, what's what's going on with our young people? Everybody that does campus ministry is inspired by these young people. I have great hope for the future. And part of that is because they yearn for the truth, they yearn for authenticity, but they also believe fundamentally that it is ridiculous to not use your hands if you believe what you believe. And so, you know, we routinely sent, uh, you know, if there was a tornado when I was at the University of Wyoming, I'd have five students come in, okay, hey, where is it? I heard there was a tornado. Do they need somebody? Well, we're, if, you, if they can give us Snicker bars and Mountain Dew and a place to sleep, we'll go help out. They also, young people are also not afraid of the inner city. They're not afraid of crumbling buildings. They're not afraid if things aren't perfect and manicured. In fact, they actually appreciate it. They love restoration projects. They love they love coffee. There's no doubt about it. But they also love recycling and making you know, taking buildings and doing things with them to reach out to others. And just like they don't, they like to go to that kind of hipster. Um, you know, innovative, recycled, kind of a, a refurbished building that was an old warehouse that, that turned into a college, a coffee shop. They also kind of view that way in terms of people, that people can be rejuvenated too, that they can be, I don't like to use the word recycled, it's maybe not the best analogy, but I think you get the idea that the people have an inherent um, sense of dignity. Young people today very much, you know, they've been preached the doctrine of of tolerance and diversity and they care very much increasingly about the life movement and that all life matters they increasingly are more in favor of 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 pro-life positions for not only the unborn but also for everybody at every stage in life they they actually want to be pro-life in a sense of being pro-humanity and so they are very, and we see it on the campuses. We've seen it with some of the, the protests and different things that have happened. They want to get involved. They want to do things with their hands. They want to not just think about things in an intellectual capacity like an ivory tower. They don't want that. And so there's much that can be harnessed. And, and really, I have to say, shame on us. Shame on every campus ministry that has the means, ability, and power um, that has been around for a while that hasn't really considered how to develop a mercy component um, of some sort, because I don't know a college student that won't do it. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, our our approach of life together, uh, mercy, and our witness, yeah. all yeah. those things fit really well with that age category. You know, they want community of all different walks of life. And as you said, I'm just so fascinated. They're not afraid uh, when they see, you know, a homeless person digging through the garbage out front of their urban loft. They're not afraid to um, be with elderly people or people that are new to America. And they want that. They want that sense of community. They want that sense of service. And um, as you said, it's definitely uh, you know, when we think about witness mercy life together as being kind of foundational for how we approach uh, starting new missions. 
Um, I can't think of a better age category. Hey, Dr. Larson, um, I know we're all in our separate rooms, so it's kind of rough since we're not together. Um, I know you, you had a comment for us. Well, yeah, I just wanted to mention that this all calls, causes me to think about um, the impact the campus ministry had on, on my life. I went to a traditional campus ministry at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, mm-hmm. and I certainly remember I have lifelong friends from that time together, formed very, very close connections with people. Uh, many are uh, faithful to the church, very, very faithful to the church to this day. Uh, that ministry, uh, around the time that I was there, I think sent like eight guys to the seminary. Uh, I mean, it was a very, very productive. I learned a love for evangelism there. And, you know, so I, I mean, I can go on and on about the uh, the impact that it had on my life. Um, and one of the, the key things was just kind of, you know, sorting out some issues of theology. Uh, one thing that I always recall is I was having this uh, theological debate with the campus pastor and um, about this particular thing. And, uh, and he said, no, well, Mark, just go, uh, where in the Bible does it say that? Go find that. It's like, well, I, I'll go find that. And he said, well, good. And so I called up this my ba- a Baptist friend I had, and I said, where in the Bible does it say this? And the funny thing was he couldn't find it. So it was um, on this particular issue. So it was kind of neat to uh, see how it challenged me patiently to, to grow in the faith. And I know that that happens to hundreds and thousands and thousands of uh people who are impacted by campus ministry at a very crucial time in their lives when they're really making, uh, forming values and forming uh, opinions that are going to shape the rest of their lives. Well, they're being, so they're, being work that you're doing they're being filled with, with high ideals. They're, they're very idealistic, uh, but they also want their, their, they know that, and they haven't really developed the idea of not thinking that they can't do certain things. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean that can't be done? And so this is the perfect time, and I'm glad that you had such a wonderful experience um, at the University of Nebraska and the campus ministry there. And that's really the legacy of these campus ministries. Um, and it goes without saying that if we can not only keep many of our own young people from falling away from the faith using our campus ministries whether we plant new ones or our existing ones to continue to reach out to those that don't have faith and can collectively help them kind of come through this crucible of their college years, they're also going to be very mission and mercy minded for the rest of their lives because of that experience. And in many cases, when you have that combination, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was certainly fantastic for me and for my brother. And uh, like I said, we have friends that continue to serve the Lord zealously to this very day. Thanks be to God. Yeah, very well said, Mark. And uh, it definitely puts a, a pin in why this is such an important ministry. It really does have that kind of impact. We really are concerned about making new disciples. And we certainly know um, that we need to reach specifically into our campuses to do that. Now, Mission Field USA especially, we've had some very cutting-edge campus ministry kind of work and among international students and all the rest. But uh, Marcus, what what is the new frontier? What are we looking forward to here in the future for new missions and church planting and also campus ministry? Well, a lot remains to be seen just in terms of how this all shakes out in a post-COVID-19 
18 or 20 or 21 or 22 or whatever world it's going to be. Um, so, and how that will impact higher education. But increasingly, college is going to be online. Increasingly, young people are going to start staying closer to home. So community college enrollment, already 52% of all students go to community colleges already. That usually blows people's minds. Um, and um, the biggest frontier, I think, is this the non-traditional kind of urban environment uh, where we really have it. You really want to plant a church? It's all about being in the inner city, being in our cities where there's plenty of schools. We have the college town kind of places covered, the beautiful pastoral, typical college town. And I noticed, Steve, that's Ohio State. Uh, but that's really a college city. I'm thinking more. <laughs> I'm thinking more like you know, the uh, University of Indiana in Bloomington. When you think about a town of fifty to eighty thousand people with a university, and we've got a full time chapel there and whatever. But really, the future is how do we tackle the big cities um, like New York, Boston, Chicago, in the Loop, and elsewhere. Uh, Houston, other places like that, where there's hundreds, if not multiple hundreds of thousands of college students, but we really haven't figured out how to do that yet. So that's that's really the the challenge. And and young people are desirous of living in the cities. Uh, the young young people, millennials, that's where they want to be, and uh, so that's likely where all they're also to get jobs. So starting campus ministries, even if they're kind of multi generational and especially kind of maybe even young adult oriented as well as college age. So somebody might go to, you know, college in, in the loop in Chicago and downtown Chicago and then get a job in one of the buildings right near where they were going to college. And then they can still be a part of your church and then they don't have to be transient in the normal sense. So those are some of the new frontiers and it remains to be seen. But like I always say, if you're talking about planning a campus ministry church, start with what you've got. Every asset is helpful. Very good. Well, thank you guys for a great conversation about a very important topic, uh, about a very important uh, demographic in our society for sure. And it really does sound like it's a lot of putting our heads together. So very much encourage any of our church planters, if you're thinking about uh, a nearby campus that you might want to start ministry, uh, make sure you reach out to uh, Pastor Zill. Um, he is the chancellor of LCMSU and uh, a lot of good thoughts. And we're always here to help you also with uh, urban ministry. And uh, we really yeah, encourage everybody to uh, let's let's work together and uh, let's uh, see how we can see the planting of uh, the gospel in our campus ministries and around our cities. And and uh, really had a great conversation today, guys. Thank you, Marcus, for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, as always, thank you, Mark Larson, for joining us in the conversation. Oh, it's my pleasure. All right. Thank you, listeners, and hope you listen to us again. Thanks for listening to the Mission Field USA podcast for church planting. Visit lcms.org slash church planting for other resources and information to share your ideas and to contact us. The Mission Field USA podcast is a production of the Office of National Mission of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, in partnership with KFUO Radio. The Lord be with you. Mm -hmm.